1: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you
2: doing, buddy? Dan, I am so excited. It is ladies' night. And I'm sure that all everybody out there is going to wait for the the hooker joke that's going to follow. But no, there is not. We have a very special lady as our guest tonight.
1: You know, special lady, Benny, why don't you tell everybody who we got on the line with us?
2: Well, where do I even start? Well, we kind of we're we're kind of kindred spirits. Her she once wrestled as Melissa Dahl, and I have to tell you that uh, back in the day I worked at Citicorp, and I worked with this nice old lady. I think she was in her late nineties, uh, named Anita Breslov. She was about four foot seven, but she was about seven foot nine with her beehive. She could actually stuff. She could stuff a Shaquille O'Neal dunk, and. Uh, <laughs> but I would always bring her work over to the other building in, instead of having her do it. And every day I'd hear you're such a doll. So, you know, we were, we're both dolls, but uh, this, this lady was actually half of the uh, WWF tag team championship with uh, Velvet McIntyre. She, I call her the delightful, well, the Danish delight, the one and only Desiree Peterson. Desiree, welcome to Dana Banning in the Ring. Well,
0: thank you for having me on.
2: Thank you so much for being here we
1: appreciate the time
0: that's and all I got now is time
1: well we we'll, we're gonna we'll get right into it then we always uh start with the you know what actually um before we get to the questions we were talking uh before we started to record and you said before we got started you had a shout out you wanted to shout out to a friend of yours um so why don't you you say hi to our uh old knuckles for us
0: Well, you could do it, but sure, I'd be happy to. Uh, Brendan Higgins is the gentleman who actually got me all conned into this with uh, Benny and Dan. (laughs) So here I am, stuck with you two tonight. Um, But Brendan Higgins actually, uh, as everybody knows him, is uh, Knuckles Nelson, and he did a book that I think every wrestler out there should read. And I think anybody else out there that could get um, a little bit of help in life Um, should also read this book. And I think that's the greatest thing that we could do is help one person in our life um, is what God put us here to do and to do. And um, But his book is Waking Up from the Wrestling Ring to the Yoga Mat. And it is a wonderful read. And again, I think everybody out there should read it once and then hand it off to somebody else.
2: I've read that book from cover to cover. I absolutely love Brendan. He's a great guy. And yeah, that book that book is is for anybody, you know, wrestling fan, non-wrestling fan, just a lot of phenomenal phenomenal advice and just a great story of of overcoming adversity. And it took him a long time. It wasn't one of these you know overnight things. his overnight was probably twenty years.
0: Yes. And that's why I say that um, I was always raised to whether it's helping a little old lady across the street or helping somebody in the wrestling industry to become a better person or um, a better athlete, um, more knowledgeable. Um, And this book gives all of that in a handful.
2: Now, just so uh, Desiree, you you think that we missed it. I, I heard that first sentence and the words conned and stuck were in there. Hopefully you you didn't mean those. Or you did. (laughs) Uh, What? I said that first sentence you had conned and stuck. And then
1: (laughs) you 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 heard her, Benny. She she got she got strong armed. Here we were thinking she wanted to talk to us. Uh,
2: Silence isn't always good. I don't
0: know if I want to talk to you guys anymore. Uh
2: This would be the shortest show ever.
1: Well, yeah, I want to get into it. We we always start no matter who it is with the same question because the answers are always so unique, being the the stories that people tell and and how, you know, they say that the different paths of life can sometimes lead to the same destination. Um, <clears throat> so I'm curious. It's just kind of a two part question. When when do you remember? Do you remember when the wrestling bug bit you? Like when you became a fan, and do you remember the moment when you transitioned from fan to hey wrestling is what i'm going to do
0: well i'm not going to be like anybody else ever on your show because i was never a fan i never watched it i never went to a wrestling um match or promotion or bought a ticket or anything like that um um my parents actually did And my dad actually thought my mom was going to have my sister at one of the wrestling matches screaming and yelling and hollering her head off and all that stuff. But no, I was never a fan. I actually had a friend that wanted to get into the wrestling industry, and my mom actually knew Stu Hart. So we went down to the pavilion in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and um, she talked to some of the wrestlers. And what happened was, is because I knew some of Stu's sons, they actually talked to me over her. And to make a long story short, things were not good being a 17 year old at home with my mom. Um, We were always kind of like, like I said, I'm shortening this down. We were always like oil and water at that point of being a teenager. And uh, don't get me wrong. I love my mom. And, you know, we, we got along later on in life and I apologized for a lot of it, but you know, it kind of was like, huh, I could do this. I was always an athlete in my life. And, uh, so we went down a few more times, me and my friend, and she kept talking and they kept talking to me. And I was like, I could do this and went home one uh, weekend and had a big ha with my mother. And I said, that's it. I said, I'm going to go become a wrestler. And she basically laughed at me. And, um, So after things calmed down and, uh, about a week later, matter of fact, she, um, she said, you still want to become a wrestler? And I said, yeah, um, sure. Sounds like a good idea. I mean, hmm, ah, whatever. And, um, you know, I was 17, I was wet behind the ears and didn't know a darn thing. And, um, so my mom sat me down and said that she had talked to Stu Hart and I was like, Doubled over, like that. Uh, that, that, What and she's like, Yes, I know him. And um, he won't train you. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, that dream's over. And she said, He said that you're uh to go to the fabulous Moolah in South Carolina. And um, so my mom got on the phone and talked with her because Stu was kind enough to give her the phone number. And the next thing I know, maybe in a couple weeks, a month, I was off to South Carolina and um. Started uh, training with the fabulous moolah and let me tell you, the first week was a week of hell. Because I'm 17 years old, know absolutely nothing about life, even though I thought I knew it all, and um, I cried every day for being homesick. Now, y'all are gonna make me get tears. Um, so I I phoned him every day and cried every day, and my mom said, "No, nope, this is what you wanted. You're gonna stay, and we can't afford." Um, to fly you home, and there's no return on the money from mula And at that time, I'll be honest with you all, it was $2,500 is what my parents paid to have wow, her train wow. me. And uh, plus the plane ticket, you know, plus food, plus uh, rent, everything else that it costs um, when you're not living at home. And uh, so I ended up staying. And at that point in time is when I decided that for the next however long, this would become my career.
2: So I have to ask you, Desiree. Well, just because what was your mom's name? Your mom's first name, or what is your mom's first name, Marion? Man, because all I can think of is is Stu Hardy. Yeah, Marion. <laughs> <laughs> so I would have given anything to be like on the other line of that that telephone. Just like, yeah, hey, uh, so we uh, sent it to Mula.
0: You sound that's just like. Him.
2: Of, that's a lot of <laughs> money. Holy crap! I mean, twenty five hundred bucks. You know, what, in the 80s was probably like, damn, inflation wise, we're probably talking like That's, at least 20 grand, right? Yeah, Wami, well, mean, well, we, go ahead. It was 1982,
0: July the 15th, the day that I landed in South Carolina.
2: And you're only 28 now. How did that work? It was, got
0: I nice, love you both. Sc- 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 now sc- now I can talk going, forever. Yeah. Absolutely. I like 28. Yes. So just to
2: peel the the K Fabe curtain back a little bit, Copenhagen, Denmark is more like Calgary as far as your uh, your
0: hometown. Um, no, my mother was actually um, um my mother was actually born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, but her family before her, she's the youngest, um, okay. all came from Copenhagen, Denmark. And okay. um, and my father and my grandfather was actually a champion boxer so after doing two months in british columbia canada as melissa dole with uh velvet mcintyre um when i got back to columbia south carolina after that um mula said we need to think up a name for you so my mom actually sent now i don't remember exactly it's been a little while um she actually sent eight names first names down and say seven last names or vice versa. And we just went down through the list. Um, me, Mula and Katie, um, Katie was, um, um, the little person that used to live with Mula. And, um, we finally come up with Desiree Peterson and from Copenhagen, Denmark. And I knew that I would honor my mom's family, um, by being from Copenhagen, Denmark.
2: So how did, how did your mom know Stu Hart? I have to know that too.
0: Professionally, through through business.
2: Okay. So, so my my Stu Hart, like maybe give it a, a six out of ten. I'm sorry. My Stu Hart invitation. Would you give it maybe a six
0: out of out of ten? Oh gosh, it was an eight. You brought back <laughs> memories. Yeah, thank
2: you very yeah. much. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's so funny. You, like, let me talk about like wanting to get get into wrestling and having your mom know probably one of the greatest promoters of all time right
0: i knew him personally she called him up on the phone i mean she didn't have to you know wait for him to come in and and give his phone number or talk to him at work or anything like that she called him up and said you know you're gonna think this is the craziest thing in the whole world and he flat out said i won't train her and um Of course, the question was, well, why not? And, you know, he was honest and said, because the gentlemen really hurt a lot of people to make sure they want to be wrestlers. They try to get rid of them um, when they first come to the training camps and who succeed and stay. And we're talking, you know, broken bones and hands and fingers and everything else. And um, and Stu said or. I mean, I've seen your daughter, They'll, and which was a compliment. I had no idea back then that I was cute, but, you know, he said, or they're going to be hitting on her, and I don't want either one. And uh, so she'll go off to Moolah's if she wants to learn how to be a wrestler. I mean,
2: not for anything, you know, he, he Dan and I were talking before the show, before you got on the line. There weren't. He, I don't think he trained any woman before uh, Natalia Nyhardt. Is that correct?
0: I can't answer that for you. I, I do not have that knowledge. I
2: don't remember any hearing about any women that he trained, besides Natty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, and that that was one of the big selling points uh, of her. I want to say career, but, but when she first kind of came in and they were hyping her up, was like, "Hey, the the first female graduate from the Heart Dungeon." So.
0: Yeah, and I don't know. I. I... I'm trying to remember like when, but she had it made anyway, just being part of the family, being the granddaughter, you know, being nieces and nephews of all of these wonderful people, talented um, right. people that, you know, I mean, she was probably three years old and, you know, throwing stuff around and grabbing arm bars and everything else. I mean, she sure already, already
2: had a contract from Vince McMahon.
0: A three. Probably. Three, three K. <laughs> probably the lucky little girl. You're probably right. right. And she's beautiful on top of it. So, I mean, gosh, you know, to have the looks and the ability. God bless her. Yep.
1: You, know, so, it, go ahead, it, you know, I was going to say, it's funny. I, I say we start with the same question every time because the answer is different. And it's always fun to hear the story. I never would have thought. I mean, this is 88 episodes in and subsided reviews we've done. I never would have thought the answer to the first question is, well, I wasn't a fan of wrestling. I, that's, I know. It, it's like I, I said – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I didn't sorry. mean to cut you off.
0: Sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say it's like I said with the roads of life, You know, the different, different roads leading to the same place, I – wrestling is one of those things you always hear people talk about. They've been a fan their whole life and it's in their blood. And it's to, to think that, that, you know, you you made such a passion and career out of it as somebody who was more just there, obviously your family were, were avid fans, but you know, it's, it's incredible how life works out sometimes like that.
0: It is amazing how life turns out. And sometimes we miss those blessings.
1: Well, if we can um I want to shift a little bit, maybe a uh, more serious question. We were talking about your your time with uh, training with Moolah, and uh, you mentioned, obviously it was it was grueling as as many, many stories have come from her the the diff the toughness and difficulties of her training camp. Um, recent years with various articles, the the Vice TV, Dark Side of the Ring special on her. Uh, she's slow. And then the, the um, you know, the, the advertising pressure to change uh, the WWE was uh, their battle royal the, the was was supposed to be the Moolah Memorial. But they pulled that she's kind of slowly evolved into a, one of the more polarizing figures in professional wrestling. Uh, you've heard some obviously, like I said, I've highlighted some horror stories, but she also has many devotees as well, um, which if you don't mind me asking which camp are you in there
0: i'm in both and i think only the people that live there or trained there can honestly tell you that that they're in both sides um she did some horrible things as powerful people do that have people that work underneath them um and they forget they're human beings and they forget the value of them especially for working for them um Am I also a champion of her getting her name back and being able to be the memorial of that? Yes, just like Mildred Burke should be out of out of California. Um, her name should have went up on that label ever before Johnny May. Johnny May had didn't ever ever do anything for the women, so why would they give it to her? But Mildred Burke out of California absolutely should have had it. They should give the name back to Mula, and I think with um, the dark side um, they missed a lot in that interview. And it's amazing that, um, again, a little bit of the jealousy of the girls that they didn't call me. I wasn't part, I mean, they all have my number. I have their numbers. Um, they call me for other stuff, but they never called me for that. And, I, and maybe the promoters didn't want me. Maybe I dropped out when I did and I'm not as popular as I was, et cetera, but I'm not afraid to talk about the adversity And the wrongs, I mean, I won't highlight them. That's for every individual to highlight. But I can say on one side, for shame for her. The other side, I can be right in the middle and say she had no value of the people that worked for her. Again, for shame. And three, uh, most definitely her name should go back up. Uh, What she did for us women of that era and the eras before us that nobody talks about in this day and age. And the things that the women did to break through, like Ronda Rousey in the MMA, um, kudos to her. And kudos to the women that have followed her and Dana White allowing it. Um, I clap my hands every night and I participate in watching MMA because of the women, not because of the men. Um, I champion that because they don't get enough time. Um, But, you know, on the other hand, I think there's other greater names that we could have picked than Johnny May. Um, to label that if they didn't want Lula.
2: That's right. Before we get too deep into your early career, uh, you know, and, and speaking of bosses, we'd be less than remiss, you know, as somebody who actually worked in the WWF in the early 80s, um, to to ask you about Vince McMahon and his recent uh, recent ordeal, uh, culminating with him stepping down. But pre, you know, previous to that, paying, you know, it was disclosed that he paid millions of dollars of hush money. Uh, for, for women that he had affairs with. So did, did does that surprise you?
0: No, but not in the sense of most people me saying no. Um, I, I have been around a lot of major corporations and powerful men with a lot of money um, do a lot of things that they think they can get away with. Um, there's other great people, and I'm not going to say this is just men either. Some women CEOs, some women presidents, some women owners of companies do this to young intern men. So it's not just selective um, on the male side. Um, But at the same note, if you look back in 1992, when he was caught up in the steroid uh, situation with, all of the gentlemen and the gentlemen speaking out and on phil donahue about some of the men speaking out against pat patterson and the things that he said on these shows how he would look into it and how this wouldn't happen in his company and all this other stuff i mean brouhaha you know he knew he was pulling the 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 rug over the situation And he was going to sweep it all under the rug and it would all just go away because he had that luck. He had that charisma. And again, there is a man that does not value the talent that he has working for him.
2: I think, was it Bill Clinton had the the title, Teflon Willie? I really think that that applies to Vince McMahon. Nothing has ever stuck to the guy.
1: Like, slick Willie. Okay. You're, 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 th- you're mixing up with the Teflon Don.
2: Okay, yes. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, so nothing, whatever, I mean, there's been times when I thought, man, this guy's a dead man, but he always seems to uh, avoid the noose.
0: Correct, but it finally stuck and he had to finally decide at the age of 79 or 80 to walk away and not really get caught by it and it's a shame it took that long. But He's a great businessman. So on the other hand, you got to compliment him and tell him what a what a what a damaging product he made in the eighties, but yet what a great product he made with the WrestleManias and the SummerSlams and the, all the others and the champions that he's made and the people that he's championed to become these famous movie stars, etc. Um, you know that this was a format before them. I mean, so. One hand, 50-50, um, you know, not so good. The other hand, he's a great man. So, you know, where does it fall?
2: Well, you know, talking to somebody who grew up, you know, in the 70s, I, I, I don't know that, in my opinion anyway, did he really make wrestling better? He changed wrestling for sure. I mean, he he brought it onto the grand stage, but, you know, and I always, we, we always use the, uh, the Memphis territory as an example that, you know, if you grew up in Memphis in the 70s, you could go to the Mid-South Coliseum every Monday night and watch Jerry Lawler, Bill Nundee, Jimmy Valiant, you know, all those guys. And, you know, now if you're wrestling, like I'm in Tampa, we maybe it's at Emily Arena twice a year. So, I mean, from a, a, a wrestling fan's perspective, is it really better? And even from a wrestler's perspective, is it really better? Because when you had 30 territories around the country— and they each employed out, you know, you 50, 60 wrestlers. So now you have maybe 2,000 wrestlers gainfully employed, whereas, you know, Vince maybe has 200. I don't know. In, in my opinion, yeah, he's definitely changed it, and he definitely brought it into the mainstream. But as as a true, loyal, hardcore fan, I liked it better the way it was.
0: Well, and, and yes I and do. No. And again, that goes back to actually working in the industry and all the people that um, and, and Knuckles talks about it in this book about, you know, the hardships of trying to make it in the smaller organizations. And yet that's what groomed you and made you, um, and, and taught you so much from the senior guys. Um, and it's funny that, that you talk about Lawler cause Lawler never had to give up his territory, but he bought all the other ones out likes to heart. And, you know, took that away from Canada because then the WWF only came in like, what, once a year, twice a year. Um, a lot of people to watch the WWF um, would go across the American line from Canada and buy tickets and then go to the big arenas and watch wrestling and, or just watch it on TV. Because he did get rid of all of the smaller promotions that actually groomed and trained people and taught them knowledge of this industry.
2: You know, and that's interesting because you brought up the flip side of it uh, from the wrestler's perspective. I mean, these guys are getting huge amounts of money these days. But back in the day, I mean, you say you work for Bill Watts, you could drive seven hours from Tulsa to Baton Rouge or however long it takes, you know, for a hundred dollar payoff with a sprained ankle. Right? I mean, yeah, so that part of the picture is, isn't, uh, you know, it, it has vastly improved.
0: And some of the smaller organizations, no. To this day, no. Um, Back in the day, um, if you could do those things, um, and some of those people have to work not the chosen jobs or jobs that they would want with higher pay, but they have to work in the pizza industries or the McDonald's or the Walmarts or something like that so that they can go to their superiors and say, I need to be off this weekend to go wrestle can I be off? And they'd say, sure. Cause they loved it. And they'd send this gentleman or this young lady down the road and wishing them nothing but good luck. And they would do it out of being able to get this knowledge and this um, ability to learn new holds or, you know, some new fancy high spot or something like that. Um, and work with these greats like Jimmy Valiant and um, Knuckles Nelson and John Cena when he was on, you know, the, um, beginning organizations um and and learning and and creating their craft and and just specializing in that craft and not getting paid a dime so they spent their own gas money they spent their own food because everybody has to eat and some of the promoters you know still to this day don't pay them anything and what a shame that is
2: It not steve i think steve austin when he worked in memphis had to eat like potatoes every day like raw potatoes because that's all i mean that's all i can afford
0: yeah there's there's horror stories out there like that all over the place and i always wondered about Moolahs because mula used to say that she would she would get ketchup and uh ketchup packets were free in restaurants and then make tomato soup with hot water in the hotel room and i don't know how much of that is true because mula was just a story after a story after a story but she always seemed to do quite well um uh, but, but somebody like, you know, Steve Austin, I, I have a tendency to believe because the gentlemen were treated differently than, than us women. And, um, the women did get paid. It wasn't very much, but they would at least get paid. Um, and their gas covered. um, we'd all, you know, jam into a room to pay for a hotel room so we could all have a little bit left over, but the men weren't as lucky. They would go and wrestle and take, the opportunity of um, and hopefully walking away uninjured um, to specialize and learn their craft and learn something new and be starving or living in their cars to have somewhere to sleep.
1: Yeah, we've had a few guests uh, over the past year and year or so that, that have told us about you know multiple people sleeping on the floors in hotel rooms, like you said, you know, five. I mean, you, you figure. Picture some of the wrestlers back then five six big guys you know 1500 1600 pounds a man cramming into a rental car just just so you know not everybody has to get their own driving a few hundred miles to to wrestle once and maybe you're there for a few hours and then you're right back in the car on the way home and living off gas station hot dogs
0: I can tell you a story of when I was in WWF and um, our rental car was paid for, so some of the guys would ride with us because yeah, we had a rental car paid for us.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Yeah. So we would be like, okay, shh, nobody tell anybody and don't get caught and you know. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. Just,
1: I'm, I'm picturing like like somebody somebody hiding in a trunk.
0: <laughs> no, it wasn't quite that bad, but you know what I'm saying? It was like shh. Don't get caught because we don't want to lose a, that privilege that we had. That was, was a very nice privilege.
2: Did you charge him trans?
0: <laughs> no, no. Well, we well, took I, you of them. guys no, were nice. Yeah, we were nice. So, but I was the one who always got dumped at the corner. Cause of course, back in that time, you couldn't be seen with, you know, the baby face and the heels couldn't be seen together and things like that. Now that that's all out in the open and we talk about that, which is a shame. Um, but I'd be the one that was dumped down the road and have to walk all the way in. And I have another crazy story to tell you about that with Wahoo McDaniel, with Wahoo McDaniel story. But, but yeah, I was the one that was dumped out of the car or something. It was crazy.
1: Well, you know, you talk about being young talent. Uh, I'm curious, you, you, you finish your training, you're getting ready to go on the road. Um, Benny did some some crack research, and the first the first match he we were able to or he was able to find um, was in British Columbia against oddly enough Velvet McIntyre who we mentioned at the top of the top of the hour you ended up becoming tag team champions with. Is that is that true? Is is that your first match uh, heading back up to Canada or?
0: Well, can I can I back up a bit? Of course. Um, I would love to give tribute to the ladies that trained me, which was all of Moolah's girls. Moolah never got in the ring with me ever once and taught me anything. So I give all my credit to uh, Princess Victoria, Velvet McIntyre, Judy Martin, um, Glendine Mitchell, uh, Penny Mitchell. Um, um, Glendine is her real name, so she'll probably kill me. But it's all right. It'll be all right.
1: Um, <laughs> Kayfabe K-
0: K- is dead. Um, uh, Leilani Kai. I mean, I could go on, but um, they were the ones who trained me. Even though I spent the time on the road with them, but um, yes, Mula walked in the ring uh, one time, picked me up for a body slam by body slam me, picked me up one more time by me. She said, "Okay," and walked out of the ring. And then the next thing I knew, that was about two months out. The next thing I knew, just shortly after New Year's in January in 1983. I was off to British Columbia, Canada, which was great because I was in the Canadian area. My mom could see me. I could hang out with my two uncles, one on my dad's side, one on my mom's side, um, and family and see all of them because I was so homesick, y'all. You'll, unless you've lived it, you'll never understand it. And um, But me and Velvet were, well, I didn't get along with, great with any of the girls, but um, for so many reasons. Um, but anyway, yes, me and Velvet worked for two months for El Tomco and I worked as Melissa Dole and then, uh, three days back in South Carolina, um, pick my new name, which is Desiree Peterson and off to Japan. I go for two months with Judy Martin.
2: And you were how old then, Desiree?
0: I was 18.
2: Wow. Just barely out of high school.
0: I, I had actually, yeah, I finished my senior year, um, was hanging around the home, getting in trouble with my mom and, um, crazy idea that a friend wanted to get into wrestling (laughs) and, uh, you know, knowing the hearts and everything that my mom knew the hearts and, you know, the guys talking to me and I was like, oh, I could do this. And I was like, you know, whatever, little did I know I couldn't do it, but I mastered it. Um, actually, I never mastered anything. I'll be honest with you. I'm still attempting to master it. Um, but yeah, off to British Columbia, I go and in front of audiences. And it was really nervous and really nerve wracking being in front of these audiences. I mean, to this day, I, I'm, I'm nervous about doing interviews. I'm, I, I would be nervous in front of a crowd. I mean, it used to make me so nervous.
2: So, was that Moola's idea, Desiree, to to send you to Japan?
0: She made all the decisions for all of us. Um, Maybe a promoter, we don't know the inside of it. Um, Sometimes I was at her house um, and um, I would hear some of the conversations, but again, you're only hearing one side. Um, We didn't have cell phones back then. You weren't privileged to be on a speaker and hear both sides of conversation. I only heard the one side. Do I know who the promoter was asking for on the other side? Because sometimes you'd hear her negotiating with, with, well, you know, that person's already booked or this person is, you know, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of times she wouldn't tell us anything until right away that you were like, pack your bags, you're you're leaving tomorrow or you're going today or whatever. You know, she didn't give us a whole lot of notice. She she kept us on the fishing hook and would reel us in when she needed to and get us on a plane and get us gone.
2: So I mean, how at eighteen years old to, to be in Japan? That had to be overwhelming.
0: In so many ways, yes, yes. I couldn't talk the language. I didn't know anybody. The only person I had was my nemesis, which is still my nemesis to this day. Um, I respect the woman highly. Don't get me wrong, Judy Martin. I owe her uh, my whole life in wrestling. I owe to her um, and so many others, but mostly to her. And um, she was a great talent, had great patience with me. But me and her, we, we we had our issues. We were not friends by any means. Respect was what was always between us. Most important.
2: Thing.
0: Especially to me.
2: So what happened after Japan? Did you What, what next after that?
0: Um, after that, I came back home to South Carolina, and then I went and did my first match in the WWF, which was in the Keele Auditorium in St. Louis, and Missouri. And um, believe it or not, that night, Motley Crue was performing a concert wow. in that building, and I actually had a room with a shower in it, and I got kicked out so they could go in and take a shower after their concert. And I was like, no, 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 I'll just keep my room and they can come on in. They're like, no, get your stuff and get on over here. And in the other side of that building, they had the NHL on, the National Hockey League. And believe it or not, I had to wait all night. I I was terrified. And then I realized, one, it was TV. And two, I could not see the rafters of the people. There were so many people in that building. And I was like, how are there this many people? for this event and um believe it or not if you go back to the matches that's the match where i get thrown on gorilla Monsoon's lap um from judy but that's also the same match when i talk about my nervousness that she slapped me so hard i think i was the poltergeist and my head went around three times and she was like you know gosh darn it that's not the word she used listen to me and I was like, wow, she snapped me out of my nervousness. She snapped me out of being this crazy woman that I wasn't. And I, I got to give her credit. So that was one of the best uh, matches of my life.
2: I tell you what, and, and just my humble opinion, you know, one of the things that's sorely lacking in today's product is any kind of storyline. You know, telling it, telling a story in the ring. That match, that told it all. I mean, what, maybe about 10 minutes, but, you, you know, you as the underdog babyface, getting beaten down by Judy, you know, the the vicious heel and, you know, pretty much getting, you know, beaten up the entire match and then pulling out that victory at the end. It was, I watched it a couple of times. It's a great match.
0: It it is. And I don't like to watch myself, but it is an awesome match. And um, I have to give all my uh, compliments to Judy Martin. um, And you're right about storytelling. That is the greatest loss to this business. Um, of this last era that Vince McMahon has taken over and the control of wanting to know every move in the ring and it just makes it so blah, so boring, and I don't know how he gets the crowds he still gets because, I mean, these people in the smaller organizations that have opened up um, and are working matches are telling better stories. But he takes it all away.
2: No, you, you go to a WWE show now to enjoy yourself and watch the matches. But back then, you know, in the eighties, I mean, people were watching that match and they were, they were hurting for you. They were, they were invested in that match.
0: Right. Back in the eighties, whether they were watching me or Judy or, or uh, Gorilla Monsoon, whoever they were watching, it was the story that drew them in. And it was that story that made them participate. There are so many times now that people turn on the TV or are at wrestling Events are they clapping? Are they yelling? Are they booing? Are they doing any participation whatsoever with that match? No, and yet we could draw them and carry them and take them and and get them to boo, get them to swear at us. Oh my God, Bobby Orton and and Roddy Piper could get them to throw objects at them. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's what you have to think of is we brought emotion out of these people, and we could control that emotion. Man lost that a long time ago because he lost some of the best wrestlers ever, and he never knew how to train those new guys, which is what happened after generation, 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 was the willingness to teach and learn. They lost that ability to be able to control that audience.
2: Well, well now people are they're popping move for moves, whereas back in the day, they were popping for you guys for the story in the ring.
0: Right, but that's all they can do now is do um basically high spots and all these crazy moves because they can't control the audience. We could get the audience to cry. We could get the audience to be concerned if you were laying on the ground too long. We could get the audience to get mad at somebody else. Um they would get crazy and want to jump in the ring with us. We, you know, sit on the bottom rope and invite them in. They'd stop and think about it. Like, wow, this person's inviting me in. Like they can't do that now. They have no control over that audience. We controlled them. We moved them like a theater. You know, like we're like actor, actual actresses and actors. We moved these people and made them feel things. They don't have that ability anymore. They're not taught it. They're not taught how to 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 make them respond to them in that sense.
2: I'll I'll go back and watch those matches, and I'll still feel those same emotions.
0: And that, and that's what I mean about the the being more like a theatrical actor, um, and and getting people to actually feel and move with you and have your feelings and um make them upset when you were when you were injured or anything like that. You know? They can't do that now. Now, you know, God forbid that one of these wrestlers goes out and forgets a spot that Whoever is the writer. I mean, we never had writers back in the day. No wrestler did. We didn't need them, you know. And, um, you know, God forbid they, they, they miss a bump. They don't, they don't know what to do. They have no idea what to do or how to go forward.
1: Yeah, we, we talked about that before with a few years ago at WrestleMania. It was in Tampa, and they had a big storm rain delay and they had to to buy something like 45 50 minutes of f time they you know hey folks we we can't can't start yet and let's go talk to some guys in the back and you saw and there was a couple uh, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, a couple of them who could carry their own but some of these guys and girls were deer in the headlights lost blubbering and I, I mean i don't mean to sound overly critical but kind of blubbering morons If you give them a microphone without a script or a talking point, like, hey, go cut a promo, Uh, a what? Uh, I don't know. And you could clearly tell they couldn't. They didn't know what to say, didn't know what to do. There was no calling it in the ring without some massive structure. It was kind of sad to see how lost some people were.
0: Well, and that's because all they know and see, again, you have to go to the wrestlers, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owen. I mean, they studied the sport they they've listened to the interviews of the past and they've molded their lives around that and, and been able to duplicate it or recreate it, which is the best compliment you could ever give Ric Flair or whoever you want to mention. Um, Now there's other people that they only know this era of where's the writer. What did he write for me? What am I supposed to memorize? And what do I say? And if you don't have that and you're not able to just go out and talk and communicate and, and tell somebody your story and give them your emotions and draw them in with you. What do you have? Nothing. Where Kevin yeah. Owens, Sammy Zayn, so many others I could, you know, name as well as you, that um, they actually studied the craft of being able to not have somebody write for them.
1: No, yeah, you're absolutely right. And you see the, uh, the the sad thing is too is some of the fans have have especially some of the younger fans they've kind of lost that magic uh, recently. I mean, they've been in the headlines for some wrong reasons recently, but AEW in the buildup to, to some of their events recently with CM Punk and he comes out and he cuts a, a, a heart, you know, d- deep promo and it's clearly off the cuff and he's, he's talking to the crowd and then he goes and, and he calls somebody out and, and you, the, the whole progression is I'm an old, I, I'm older than you, you know, I, but I've, I got to prove I've got something left. And you read the comments, and you hear the the reaction. and the crowd's like, "Wait a minute, this guy's telling a story, and now I want to boo this other guy and And uh, this doesn't make any sense to like the the, the the idea that you can go out and cut a promo and tell and and have a match and tell a story There were fans that genuinely didn't know what to do with that,
0: yeah, because again, Here you're taking a a, a fan through the progression of what they're taught, and that's why it was always a craft that was handed down from you know um, generation after generation after generation. Even if you didn't know that person, like I never knew uh, uh, Penny Banner or any of these other people, Mildred Burke, or I'd never met her, but yet I was taught her skill, and that's what Sami Zayn, John Cena, Hulk Hogan. uh, Randy Savage, they were all taught that from their from their predecessors that this is what you do. This is how you master it. This is what you study. And that's what they did.
2: Desiree, what was it like uh, when you came into the WWF, I guess around 84? You wrestled a number of matches, I guess tag matches, I believe with uh, both Moolah as your partner and as your opponent. I guess number one, so you're maybe 19 years old at this time. You're on a, the, the, the grand stage. What was that like? And then what was it like being in the ring with Mula, who many say is the, uh, the greatest of all time?
0: Well, I don't mean to correct you. It was 1983 when I went to the WWF, and I was 18 years old. And um, being in the ring with Moolah was, was um, always a little scary um, because of her age, even though she wouldn't have been it. Um, she was an older lady. And I 50s by then, no, a little older. Um, yeah, I'm not afraid to tell her age. Um, you know, she never did anything for me other than you know, no, I shouldn't say that she did a lot for me, but it was also the other other ladies of Moa's camp that did so much for me. Um, but um, yeah, her age always bothered me. Um, you know, there was a lot of limitations with her with like working somebody that was injured. Um, so you had to be careful of that um you know so it was tricky but on the other hand it was also a lot of fun to be in the ring with Mula. you know Mula was uh, like natalia talks about you know cracking jokes and making comments and you know you had to be careful of that so you know you didn't want to get caught laughing when you weren't supposed to laugh you know you get in trouble so <laughs> well that was in trouble yeah hey
1: you know. Uh, speaking of the WWF, you, you know, we get the dates. You uh, in December '84, you you won the WWF Women's Tag Team titles or Tag Team, you know, uh, belts with Velvet McIntyre. You held the titles for about eight months before, uh, as as Benny worded it, mysteriously dropping them to the Glamour Girls. The the reason being, you dropped the belts because you were leaving the WWF. Uh, if you don't mind kind of expanding on that, why you decided to leave when you were pretty much, I mean, at that point, on top of, of the female wrestling world and and really at the centerpiece of, of, of the career you had talked about wanting.
0: Well, um we dropped him in Egypt. Um, for whatever reason, I have no idea. I wasn't the booker. I didn't book those things. But actually, the Glamour Girls, uh, Leilani Kai and Judy Martin were going on to work against the Jumping Bomb Angels. So they wanted the belts for them, which was fine by me. Those things were heavy and awful to carry around. And um, and I didn't win anything with Velvet. Um, Princess Victoria and Velvet McIntyre actually won them. Um, um, uh, Princess Victoria actually had a neck injury and that took her career away from her and they put me with velvet and me and velvet went on for the eight months and carried those belts. And, um, gosh, we could go from story to story to story. Um, um, but, um, so at that point in time over in Egypt, and I love that time in Egypt, I've also been to Lebanon. I've also been to Puerto Rico, um, uh, been to many other countries that aren't listed in my, uh, Wikipedia or whatever you want to call it. Um, So it's crazy, Um, but um, um, no, I had a uh, the 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 tag belts were never my thing, Um, um, and it's funny because when I went back to the WWF um, at about the time of me leaving was actually a huge um, situation. Um, Moolah had somebody at her property um, guiding her to become. Um, a promoter herself that she always dreamed of and actually being in the big money like like Vince McMahon, the WWF, and um, not just booking women and making money off of them, but but being her own promoter and making the big money. And um, this gentleman actually accused me of something in Lua's Kitchen and picked up my wallet and threw it and all of my stuff changed, stuff like that um, flew out when the dog dish, all that stuff all over the floor. And I stood up and I looked at Mula and I said, really? I said, are you kidding me? And I picked all my stuff up. I looked at him and I said, um, did you find what you were looking for? And I walked out and the next day, because I'd always been groomed, um, by people that did love me in my life and said, there's more to life than wrestling and to get out before you're really seriously injured. And when I talk to some of the older girls now, I'm really actually very blessed to be in the condition that I'm in, which is not so bad, um, 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 that I got on a plane and flew home and, and, and kept, it's really weird. I didn't necessarily keep a toe dipped into the wrestling world, but like Brendan Higgins drawing me back in to have a conversation with you two fine folks tonight, Dan and Benny um, um, kept drawing me back into the sport. So I've been to many other places, um, in my life without Moolah. Lebanon was because of Gama Singh out of Stu Hart's organization in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Love that man. Um, I thank him for everything that he's done for my career and the places that I went with him and didn't have to give anybody any money afterwards, Moolah. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, just taking shots. And, um, um, but, Uh, they're, they're getting back to the belts. I mean, they're, they're heavy, they're awkward. Uh, a lot of people love that prestige of being a tag team champion or being a world heavyweight champion of the world and things like that. Um, it made no difference to me. It made no difference of the value of being a wrestler and that being my career.
2: So there really was a match in egypt i I thought that was like you know that went the way of uh all of the intercontinental matches in Rio de Janeiro, but there was actually a match in Egypt,
0: <laughs> yeah, we spent time in egypt and wow. it was crazy I loved egypt I love Egypt I got was, was, so much was Rio close and for and had so much fun in, in in Egypt, but I mean you know the the belts back in the day it's so funny. can I mention one thing is I get asked today so many times about um why didn't, why does nobody mention the tag belts of the past? Why does nobody ever talk about the women's tag belts of the past? And I say, because they weren't Vince McMahon's. They were not the WWF tag belts, even though he used that label. And I can actually, um, photograph the, if you ever want me to, and send you guys some programs, um, that, that, um, I had kept and sent home to my mom so that she could always keep up with my career and with my family. And, um, um, and the names that were on those programs with me of, you know, these wonderful male wrestlers um, and great people. Um, if you ever want them for your collection, I can photocopy and send some down to you or reprint them. Um, but, um, um, oh gosh, I got lost, you guys. Where so, was so I? Was so talking the, about the belts. belts really were, oh, the belts. they,
2: they, so they, they were weren't
0: really WWF belts, they were cross no, were No, they were MUA's belts. They were Moolah's belts. Moolah owned those tag team belts. So we could take them to the NWA, WCW. We could take them to any smaller promotion, Jerry Lawler, Tennessee, California, wherever we wanted to go. Um, And it wasn't until um, that things started to get more common with the women in the WWF. And then they became his belts, which weren't really his belts. So that's why when after there was no women in the WWF for the longest time after the Wendy Richter and all that stuff went down, um, um, there was no women. And then there was no tag belts ever until recently. And that's why, because there were never WWF tag belts. They were Moolah's tag belts. Just like Moolah's belt was Moolah's belt. It was never the WWF's belt. So Vince had to make all of that and create that for the WWF.
1: Interesting. Nice. I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. Most people don't. Most people are afraid to talk about it. But not me. I'm an open book. I'll tell you all the truth. I'm not scared.
2: Definitely
0: appreciate that. Huh? Cut that out? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> 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 you better leave this alone or we'll have to come there and kick your butt. Hey, right, hey. Danny? You're supposed to be on my side.
1: That's, if, oh, absolutely. You know I am. But, if, if If I don't edit... Half the jokes Benny tells ain't no way I'm editing these stories. I'll tell you that much.
0: Well, I was just a sad sack tonight. He didn't have any uh, jokes to tell.
2: I'm trying to be a gentleman. I, I
1: mean, we're we're nearly an hour into the show, and no bad jokes or baseball references. This has got to be a first. Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm, I'm on my best behavior. This, well, you
1: did you did sneak that that you did sneak another sports reference in though. So, did I? What
0: was that? At the, at the beginning of the show about your beehive. Little old lady.
2: Yeah, could have oh, uh, blocked yeah, Shaq. Yeah, yeah, Her her beehive. Yeah, she was four seven. But yeah, the bee the beehive scraped the ceiling.
0: Oh my gosh! Mm. But um, I didn't mean to throw you all off script tonight. Well, I know you no, guys. No, no, that's that's fine. We just went awry.
1: Well, I mean, that's that's half the fun of of what we do is is Benny and I have always really wanted to keep our shows less formal and more sounding like you know the three of us are sitting at a restaurant having a beer right now like you know we we like the conversation style and if sometimes that goes tangent sometimes it's you know we get a little off topic i mean we've had
0: we have enough time that i can give you one story absolutely okay it was in the midwest somewhere because i had gotten so crazy and lost time and too many days on the road. And and back in the day, you know, we we didn't get three days off a month if we were lucky. We didn't get, you know, just work weekends or anything like that. We worked every day of the week and sometimes twice on Sundays. Um, It was tough. Um, But anyway, Wilhelm McDaniels was running, uh, was the the booker, the promoter of this show. And I go to walk in and um, I was always very good at not being Desiree Peterson and getting people to question like you know like movie stars do I'd be like well I look like her but I'm not really her and get away with it but anyway so Wahoo gets me this time I go to walk in the building and the security guard goes and who are you and I said Desiree Peterson he goes you're not Desiree Peterson I said I am I said I can show you all my wrestling licenses he goes out the back door go right now out you are not Desiree Peterson. I'm like, I got this big old bag over my shoulder. I am Desiree Peterson. So I am sitting, you guys. I'm sitting out on the curb, and all the boys are walking past me going, Taz, what are you doing out here? That's a good me man, and they're all laughing. So then they're walking past the door all the time, and I'm still sitting out there. And Judy was in on this joke, Judy Martin and Wahoo McDaniels um we're in on this joke and i love walking McDonald's um love him to death i so sorry he passed away love him love him love him and um and so did everybody else thank god um but yeah they're just having a hoot that i'm sitting out there and i'm not allowed in and then finally wahoo comes and gets me and he's just left la- Desiree, what are you doing outside here you need to get ready i'm like really we're gonna go here you guys so yeah they had a great time over that one and then Um, for the Woodies here in Virginia, I was fortunate enough to get the call that Wahoo was going to be down in Farmville and I drove down and I spent the night with him and we told stories all night and just hung out. And, and believe it or not, I was sitting up in the audience with some people while Wahoo was signing autographs and just having a normal conversation with the fans, which I absolutely loved. And this is where I can tell you all that I was very good at not being that person, Desiree Peterson. And, um, so if I may excuse myself, I went and got changed because I had a match that night. They actually asked me to do a, a, uh, a match on uh, Wahoo's Tribute Night. I was so privileged. I just can't tell you how proud I am of that man and, and having that opportunity. And thank you to the Woodies. Um, but I actually get, get in the ring, and the woman points her hand, hand at me, and all you can hear, it's silent. She goes, you fooled me. And you can hear, everybody heard it. And I just blew her a kiss and waved, and on we went with the match. And then after that, I still, you know, write to this lovely lady. So, well, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And at that time, Wahoo well, was on um, kidney dialysis and everything else. So it was such a shame to lose him.
1: When I first got into uh, doing podcasting and and specifically wrestling podcasting, taking over a, a spot a friend of mine had after he passed away. One of the first interviews I did was with Karen McDaniel, and she had a lot of good stories about her husband and, and being, she was very active on the road with him. And it's, it's good to hear, good to hear some, some more fun stories about him. I have one of the, I mean, uh, unless you're you're describing the pain of getting chopped, he's one of the few people I don't think I've really ever heard a bad story about.
0: No, he was loved by all. And respected, definitely. Immensely. Oh, Res- respect is everything in this business. And you know when you're respected in this business that if people are dropping your names, you are well-respected.
1: Absolutely. Well, Benny, as we wrap up, uh, any closing thoughts?
0: Well,
2: I wanted to ask, Desiree, what what are you doing now?
0: Uh, just living a normal life. Um, still looking for love in all the wrong places, um, but you know that's just who I am. So that'll continue. So uh, any volunteers out there? That, um,
2: sounds, like, that sounds like my story.
0: <laughs>
2: There's that song by uh, Doctor Hook in the Medicine Show. Better love next time, baby. That's like my my mantra.
0: That's your mantra. I'm gonna, I'm going to join. I'm right in on that book with you. All right. um, but no, I'm just living life every day. Um, I am so blessed in so many ways. I can hardly tell you all.
1: Well, I have a final question then, if we're on that topic, and if it's if it's crossed the line, just let me know. You don't have to answer it. Talk oh, about It's crossed love. the
0: line. I'm telling you.
1: Talk talk um, talk it's... about looking for love and all that. <laughs> we've heard some stories. Predominantly, uh, we've had you know a lot of a lot of guests, older wrestlers. Tales from the road, and some of them guys, some of the guys we've had on have enjoyed some stories about the uh, I maybe twenty 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 two, not the appropriate use of the term anymore, but the arena rats and some of the women they used to to have in the buildings. Benny talked about you know Memphis. It was the same hundred people in in the front row every show. Some of those wrestlers knew those women pretty well. I, I'm genuinely curious. It being that that you know, women's wrestling really rose to prominence, like uh, like it really gained a lot of national attention in the eighties with with you and, and the girls coming out of Moolah's camp, did you have uh, arena men? Did any of the women have men they knew in the towns that would come to all the shows to enjoy in, uh, enjoy uh, the the women's wrestling? If if you understand what I'm asking,
0: I, I would guess there would always be that fan. Um, Not my experience, not anybody I know of out there, Um, but um, this is going to be the mic drop. Um, We had the male wrestlers that would think that we're there for them, and that's all we're in the business for. And it was like, what? No, this is a career. This is what we're doing. We're talented. We have the ability to go out there and make you guys look like chumps and put on a better match than you all do. And I used to get in trouble for that all the time. Um, And uh, some promoters out there would uh, think we are just there to, um, I hate to use this term, but to uh, service them. And it was like, no, I am here to wrestle. I am not here to be your girl for the night. Mm. And then on the other side of that, I'm going to give you the worst side of it now, is that we would go and be in like a hotel bar having a drink. And you meet some stranger off the street and you were terrified to tell them that you were a professional lady wrestler because in normal mainstream, we weren't looked at as the stewardess that everybody wanted to date. We weren't looked at um, as these um, glorious accounting um, secretaries that everybody wanted to date. You know, you were like, wow, I'm having great conversation with this guy. I'm having a glass of wine. Do I really want to tell him I'm a professional lady wrestler for the WWF? And a lot of times when you told people that they thought we were oil wrestlers or mud wrestlers. There was so we were, we were popular with the fans and the fans knew us like you, Dan and, and Benny, thank you for following us and loving us and, and, you know, having us being able to go out and perform. Um, but if you told that from somebody that did not follow wrestling and did not think wrestling was the the next best thing, it didn't matter how good that conversation was done. So you were always like, do I lie to this guy or do I tell this guy the truth? Hmm.
1: Well, there there you have it, Benny. What do you think?
2: Amazing. I mean, I, I just never get tired of hearing about these stories. I mean, everybody that we interview has, and I'm sure Desiree could have spent the next five hours telling us more stories um but they, they never get old and yeah, again
0: I, when you're having an interview you don't know whether to tell the truth or not but now i have nothing to lose i just tell the truth well we we
1: we are open books here and, and you are uh, again I, I can't thank you enough for for sharing the time i know uh there's Oh, always, always good to hear the stories because it's it's the human side of things that gets lost. Everybody wants to talk about the matches and the outcomes. And oh, my goodness, do you remember, you know, uh, in in Chicago, I watched you in this you know, it, but but there's so much more than just wins and losses. And, and we love the personal side. And I I can't thank you enough for giving us your time and, and sharing these stories with us. Uh, so I'm going to give you the last word before we let you go. Any any parting thoughts, Desiree?
0: everybody grab the book um from uh brendan higgins um please read it um also everybody and anybody um darn it i had the book pulled up here um what was it again now i gotta go search it in my so everybody knows the name of it what is it benny come on i know you know it
1: it's called waking I- I up it. from
0: yep. go ahead. waking up from the wrestling ring to the yoga mat brendan higgins also known as knuckle nelson everybody read that book and dan and benny i can't say thank you enough um for putting up with me and having me on your show
2: i think it's the contrary you put up with us
1: absolutely so again thank you so much for your time well, like benny said i feel like there's so many more hours that we could have spent talking stories so we're definitely going to reach out to have you on at a future date
0: well thank you
1: well again thank you so much Ms. Desiree you have yourself a good evening.
0: You too. Love you guys. Bye. You
1: Bye now. The, the personal side Benny, I love the personal side of the stories and it's it I, it's crazy you don't think about it. You know, you, you you expect you hear the story. I mean obviously women's wrestling it's a different narrative but a lot of the, the there was a lot of overlap The the women crammed into the rental car sharing hotel rooms. You, you, you don't you don't realize, you know, or I should say you do realize, but it's nice to hear the narrative that, that they were, for lack of a better term, they were one of the boys, too, on uh, the road. Very
2: interesting that what you said, though, about that, you know, the, some people's perspective was that they were there for the men's benefit and that, you know, that definitely, yeah,
1: they, they were, they were the brought along for fun and that's it. Like we'll give you a few minutes in the ring and then you meet me in the hotel afterwards. That's uh, Thankfully. I I imagine that is a narrative that has long since left the business with as prominent as some women's wrestling is.
2: But I I would tell anybody that go on YouTube and uh, watch that match with Desiree and, and, and Judy Martin. It, I think it's maybe about eight minutes long. Gorilla Monsoon is calling the match. Just you talk about storytelling, and yeah, you know, me even like watching this match, you know, 38 years later, and I got drawn into it. I mean, I really got emotionally invested watching, you know, <coughs> excuse me, Desiree, you know, getting the stuffings kicked out of her by Judy Martin, thinking like, man, she's gonna she's gonna lose this match. All of a sudden, she makes the comeback and wins, and. Just you know, I felt good about it. I
1: felt good at the end of the match. Yeah, you you can't you don't really get that today. I, I can go back and watch old matches I've seen a dozen times, a hundred times, you yeah. know the outcome and you still get emotionally pulled in. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. But uh, that, that, no,
1: it's it's always yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's good to hear the more about it. And she clearly she understood the narrative and you know, I mean, the the the, the time on the road, Moolah, a lot of good stories out there, and good good. Uh,
2: but you, good. you said something very profound: is that we we really, if you think about it, very little about what we chat about is is you know in ring related. I mean, we we talked about the match with uh, with you know Desiree and Judy Martin, but only to emphasize the you know the storytelling aspect and mm-hmm. like, the in ring psychology. But you know, there was, I mean, in an hour and ten minutes. That, how long, I mean, how much ring time do we speak about? And that pretty much goes for any of our guests.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's why I like what we do. And we we had that talk last week uh, about, you know, I, he felt like we could have been sitting at a Hooters. And, you know, um, I mean, I said it when we first started the show, Benny, and it's come up a few times. The, the average sports and entertainment podcast lasts three episodes. This is episode 88. And one of the reasons that they fail is because every other time you flip on something, it's, you know, today we're going to talk about this match and this match. And and." I mean, we you and I, we've done uh, review shows before, but but to to do nothing but want to talk about match results. There's so much more to wrestling. And part of the reason I think some of the guests we've had have come on the show because they know they know what we want to talk about.
2: And it's always- stories.
1: Some of them have said they've they had they've never questions they've never been asked.
2: You can find any number of podcasts is going to break down, you know, uh, Royal Rumble nineteen eighty seven or SummerSlam or you know, any of that stuff. That this uh, this is our niche. We want to we want the real story behind the story.
1: Exactly the, the the story behind the story and the story behind the person. Right, that's the best part of it. So another great show in the bag. Pushing episode one hundred. We got plenty of good stuff coming up here in the coming weeks. So for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring. Good
2: night.